Welcome in, everybody. It's what we do every Friday here on 710 ESPN Seattle. It is time to get in the cage. It's brought to you by the Emerald Queen Casino. Always a pleasure to speak with this man. He does a great job covering the sport of MMA, one of the best writers in the business, and you can read his stuff at The Athletic, a new endeavor for our man Josh Gross, who joins us on the uh, Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Josh, how are you, man? I'm great, Bob. How are you? Uh, congratulations. Good to see you're, you're with The Athletic now. You've got a podcast coming up, uh, Gross Point Blank, which will be uh, debuting here, what, in a couple days, next week? Uh, yeah, we're publishing the first show for The Athletic on Thursday, so excited to do that as well. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on that. I look forward to checking that out, and then I'll uh, have plenty more questions for you as I go through what you have to say. So we'll, uh, sure. we'll uh, do that every week. But uh, congrats on, on everything with The Athletic. I want to want to get into a couple things with you. I, I, I flew out to Vegas last week to um, watch in person the UFC 239 and an electric night. And I know you, you had a chance, obviously, to sit through all of that. Just the card as a whole, despite we'll get into the details of the main event and all that stuff. But that's one of the better cards just in terms of star packed, you know, matchups in terms of just value. It's that's to me is still the, the one thing. And I'm a longtime boxing fan, Josh. The one thing where MMA and specifically the UFC has just absolutely crushed boxing is they stack their cards. And I know injuries happen, and it doesn't always live up to the way it was originally built. But they they always have that security blanket there. If the, the main events are dud, they've got all these fights uh, right before it that are fantastic matchups and fighters fighting each other in their prime. But definitely, the bang for the buck, you know, tends to be there. I think the sport. I think we've had this conversation before, where sort of the the sport itself is compelling. The action is frenetic and and you know the level of fighter where you're talking elite you know best of the best like a john jones or someone who's just making their ufc debut you know the 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 sport itself lends itself to quite a lot of action and there was no disappointment there on on saturday i think a lot of storylines coming in some amazing payoffs in terms of the results uh and so i i agree it was it felt like and you were in the building so i'm sure you can speak to it better than i can but there was the energy after the event I think it had a lot, and I'm sure we'll talk about him soon. I think it had a lot to do with that Masvidal Askren fight itself, um, but it, it, it definitely it, it stuck with you afterwards. You know, the, the, this was a card that if you're watching, you walked away feeling like you got everything that you wanted out of it, and it was definitely an experience where you said, "All right, I'm I'm fired up for the next one." Yeah, it was, and, and you're right. You you hit on it. the The electricity in that building was off the charts, but the, all of the heat centered around Askren and Masvidal. I mean, it was as much as they weren't the main event, they were the main event. I mean, I think everybody, you get fight hype, you get smack talk, we're all used to that. But this, I think everybody understood this felt very real. It felt very sincere. There was sincere dislike, and that didn't stop after the fight, by the way, in the post-fight press conference with Masvidal. But to see that fight end the way that it did, considering the buildup and the trash talk, what was your reaction when you saw that? I I would imagine it was much like all of the faces they panned to in the crowd with a mouth wide open and not saying a word. Yeah, it was stunning. It it really was. Look, Ben Askren had never lost before. He's 19-0. He's got a style that a lot of people don't like, but you can't argue with his effectiveness. And George Mosvidal has been a fighter's fighter, I think it's fair to say. I mean, this this is someone who was – battling on the streets of Miami, doing these underground fights with the Kimbo Slice and, you know, the, the bare-knuckle stuff. And it just – he's he's progressed so much as a fighter and it was always sneaky in a way, right? He he was always a better wrestler than people gave him credit for. He, he I don't think there were moments in his career where he took it overly seriously and he paid the price when he when he was matched against some better all-around mixed martial artists. But he's, he's definitely come into his own. His last two efforts were stupendous, and I, I don't think that – 
after the way that he handled Jaron Till and then Ben Askren. There, there's not a lot of people who, if, if you've paid at all attention to the UFC, you probably know the name George Mosfidal now. And, uh, you know, that, it was that kind of night for him. Can you be a one-dimensional fighter and be really good at that dimension, whatever it is, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, boxing, whatever it is, and, and truly have a good run in this sport these days? Because I look at Ben Askren, and we saw him in that Robbie Lawler fight, and he almost got knocked out in that fight. Um, his, his stand-up is beyond limited. I mean, he's just he doesn't have stand-up skills that I can see. Can Is he a guy that is just – if he looks to me, if he doesn't get you on the ground, he's going to have a tough night with anybody. But what, what are your thoughts on a guy that – is about as one-dimensional as, as it gets, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that you can, in the long run, um, be a, a one-dimensional fighter or a very predictable fighter uh, and, and have uh, continued success. And, and I say that knowing that there's been a lot of great fighters who had skills all across the board, incredibly athletic, and they couldn't put long runs together. I mean, just it was it's Askren kind of did it his own way, uh, I, I think his run in Bellator is underappreciated. He fought some good fighters at his time there, some some fighters that were maybe young in their careers who went on to better things. I felt like he hurt himself by going over to one championship, really limited in terms of the, the type of opponent that he was going to fight, and he didn't allow himself because he went over there to progress as a mixed martial artist. He could get away with just wrestling people. And the, the the thing with him was always like, okay, when he starts stepping up in competition, and a lot of people felt that was going to be Lawler, and he definitely had difficulty in that fight. But at a certain point, he was going to run into people who could counter his wrestling and make him pay for his deficiencies. And, I mean, we didn't really see it play out over the long course of a fight. George Mosfidal said he was open to beat up Ben Askren for 14 minutes and 30 seconds. He did it for about <laughs> five seconds. So, you know, I, I, yes, I, Askren is certainly a unique uh, presence in the way that he his approach to mixed martial arts uh, he's never going to be a great striker we've seen really solid wrestlers turn into extremely dangerous strikers I don't see that with Askren he, he doesn't seem to have the power uh, sort of the the wherewithal to, to really want to go there so um, he is limited he is one-dimensional uh, I, I think in some ways like he's reminiscent of a Damian Maya although I think Maya has become a better mixed martial artist over the years, but, but in large part because he's been honed inside the UFC, such an extensive UFC record. So he reminds me of Maya in that way, and I think and some people kicked around this fight is a fight that makes sense. You know, Ben Askren, Damian Maya fight at this stage of the game is something that I'd like to see, and I think there's still some matchups for him that make sense. Um, but, like, is he going to go on and be able to beat the best of the best at 170? It doesn't, it doesn't really look that way. And I'm not sure that he's going to make much of an effort or has really the ability to translate what makes him a great combat athlete is the wrestling into an all-around game striking. And, and I think I've said it already enough, but it, it, at this level, as much as mixed martial arts has progressed as a sport, it, it's, not, it's, it's very, very difficult to go out there and just rely on one aspect of the game. Um, no one who is at the upper echelon of the sport is doing that. Let me, it was odd in the post-fight press conference, Josh. The, the, there seemed to be a theme, and it was retirement. And which guy should you should you label as a guy that should call it a day? And there were three guys that were talked about, and I'm sure you could guess. Gilbert Melendez, who I think is essentially retired. He didn't. I didn't read that he said those exact words, but it sounds like he's walking away. He looked very old. He looked very slow that night. Uh, Luke Rockhold got knocked out again. And then uh, Diego Sanchez didn't get knocked out, didn't really get beat up, but he was dominated by Michael Chiesa. 
just in those three guys, are, could you make a case for any of those three to continue? Or do you look at all three and say, you know what, the, the likelihood of any of them competing for a title, much less being competitive, even if it's not for a title, those days are gone. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's a tough one to say. I, I, th- I think I think Gil is the obvious one who should probably, and it sounds like he kind of already has, but he hasn't said it officially. And, again, we're, we're talking on a, ahead of a weekend where Uriah Faber is coming back to fight at 40. So right, like right. retirement <laughs> is a very tenuous thing. It's like what does it really mean in mixed martial arts? But Gil has been around the block four or five times. He fought the best during his day in Japan, in the UFC. You know, there was a period there where he may have been the best lightweight in the world. And I think he's an intelligent guy. He's got a lot of things going on. I don't see why he would stick around. Um, I think you mentioned Luke Rockhold. Yep. And um, and and Rockhold doesn't look right at 205, and 85 is such a difficult weight cut for him. He's in a very difficult um, position that way. And, uh, you know, again, it seems like he's getting a little chinnier as, as the time moves on. He can't really take a shot. It's a bad combination. And so – thought it was interesting to hear Dana White talk about Luke Rockhold in that way. Um, and, and he sort of at the same time said, oh, you know, Diego Sanchez, why would he, why would he go? Diego, I think, is going to fight until they, someone pries, his, pries him out of the octagon. <laughs> I mean, he's just, they're going to fo- have to force him to stop fighting. And even then, I think he'll probably go off and fight in other places around the world. He's, he's almost got like that Dan Severn energy about him where he's going to be fighting until he's 55 or 60. Oh. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what that means for his health or for what, what he wants to do later in life. But he's, this is who he is. I mean, he's, he's, you talk about sort of Ben Askren as a unique fighter. Diego Sanchez is just a unique person in mixed martial arts and his approach to the game and how it's always been. I don't see him walking away. And I, it's hard for me to make the case that he should or shouldn't. Um, I, you know, I don't think he's an elite fighter anymore. I don't think he's someone who's going to compete for a, a championship. Michael Chiesa really manhandled him, which was surprising to see, I think, because, you know, you don't see Diego Sanchez manhandled. You see him get beat up, but not really manhandled that way. Um, but I don't think it's going to make a difference. They'll still book Diego Sanchez, keep putting him on cards. I think he's one of these guys at the UFC um, – uh, understands like he's been there since the beginning. I mean, the guy the guy was the first Ultimate Fighter winner. I mean, he he did it first. So and that was a long, long time ago. I, I, I don't see them pushing him out the door. Um, of the three, I think Rockhold has the biggest questions. Gill seems to have it in his head already that he's going to be fine walking away, but Rockhold has some real questions to answer about what the direction of his, his career looks like. Senior writer who covers MMA for The Athletic and host of a Gross Point Blank podcast, Josh Gross, is here with us on 710 ESPN Seattle for just a couple more moments. Uh, one, one fight that, that was really impressive is Amanda Nunez, who continues just to dominate anybody who held a title at any point. And I know it feels like we're so quick to crown, oh, greatest female fighter ever. It was Ronda Rousey, and then it was Chris Cyborg. And now we're saying that about Amanda Nunez, who's, but she's got the unique distinction of beating all of those women and Holly Holm as well. Is there any case to be made that she's not the greatest female fighter ever at this point? I don't, I don't think so. I, I mean, there's some tremendous women who have competed over the years. There's a Japanese fighter, Megumi Fuji, who was a lighter weight fighter, really a pioneer, and um, you know, just an incredible record and resume over the years. But a lot of people don't know who she is, so she won't enter this, this discussion. Uh, Chris Cyborg um, has been an unbelievable fighter, but considering that she was just put away by Amanda Nunes the way that she did, and Nunes has now defeated every woman that's held the UFC Bantamweight title, um, 
I think uh, I think you have to go with her, and she just seems to be getting better, Bob. I mean, really, she's so smart. I mean, the thing that she's a dynamic athlete and hits hard and, and finishes people, but if you listen to her in the post-fight, she's just so intelligent about the way that she sees things inside the cage, her approach, the way that she uh, sets up finishing sequences. I, you know, I, th- I think sometimes that gets lost that gets lost in how good these fighters are. And she is, she seems to have a real, real IQ about her uh, in, in the fighting realm. And, and it's a pleasure to listen to her talk about what she sees inside the cage because you can learn so much. And I, I would recommend anybody who who's interested in her or the fights to, to try and find some of that audio uh, post the Holly home win, because she's really intelligent about the way that she sees things. And you add that to the, to the fact that she hits incredibly hard. She's, uh, you know, aggressive. Everything about her says that you know what she she probably is the best. And I do think that we have this discussion too often in MMA, and I'd like to see things like sit a little bit. But um, as it stands now, based on what we know about all the women who have competed over the years, I, I don't say how you, I don't see how you can say she's not. What, so the problem with her is the, the the competition doesn't seem to exist. I mean, she's taken out all of the competition, and now I feel like. We're sort of just left with, all right, which rematch makes the most sense? I mean, she's had some uh, nip-and-tuck battles with Valentina Shevchenko where, you know, the first time I didn't think she looked great at all in that fight, and then she comes back and wins a split decision the second matchup. Um, Chris Cyborg, you you brought her up. You know, there's that talk of a rematch. But I just feel like, is there somebody that we're overlooking that should be the next logical opponent, or is it just that it's a shallow it's a shallow pool of fighters and, and we're just left with looking at viable rematches? Yeah, I don't know there's a shallow pool of, of fighters. I, th- I think the UFC is continuing to develop talent uh, at 135, and now it's, you know putting a bit of energy into 45. Um, 45 is a scattered weight class, so Julia Budd, who's actually uh, the Bellator champion, is fighting this weekend, uh, fighting tonight, actually, Friday. Um, and so she, uh, you know, she is someone that uh, people say, well, she's a legitimate featherweight, but Amanda Nunes beat her in 14 seconds, you know, many years ago. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's hard it's hard to find challenges for her. That's really up to the UFC to develop talent, and they do have some young prospects who are probably a, a year away from really being in a position where they could give her a fight. Uh, you brought up Valentina Shevchenko, who's now reached another level at 125. Um, she looks like an absolute destroyer there, and you know she did, as you mentioned, give. Amanda, two tough fights. I think I think there's a potential there for her going up to 35 uh, and, and fighting Amanda there and having another tough contest, another good contest. Um, but you know, it's it's one of these things, and, and people brought it up with John Jones, like who who else is there? Who else is there? Well, let the champions fight. Let them rack up wins. Let them rack up defenses. I mean, that's one of the great ways that these champ- champions can dis- uh, distinguish themselves. And if she's doing that in two weight classes, I mean, that says even more about her. So. Um, I think we'll probably see a rematch or two, but uh, hopefully the UFC is in a position where they can stick in some new talent that's uh, capable of challenging her. All right, before I let you go, I got to ask you about the main event, which, man, considering everything that took place before it, it felt like a big letdown. We heard the crowd booing mm-hmm. there. Uh, John Jones, listen, I'm not going to make the case he looked electric by any stretch of the imagination. He fought a very defensive, uh, uh, you know, calculated fight, if you will. But I'm I'm sort of, you know, this fight, the Anthony Smith fight, it feels like we're starting to give credit to the opposition for lasting and, and, and building up their performance above what it really was. I started, you know, and reading people after this fight saying, oh, Tiago Santos should be the champion. I'm thinking, 
What are you talking about, man? I give the guy all the credit in the world for fighting with the injuries that he did. But let's not pretend he went in there and dominated any part of that fight. He threw punches. He didn't really land anything of significance other than the one that knocked out the mouthpiece. He got knocked down twice. I just I feel like Anthony Smith didn't win a moment of his fight, yet we, we just tripped over ourselves to give, heaping praise on these guys. And I think some of that is a result of the dominance of John Jones, that if he looks the least bit, you know, less than explosive, we're really just jumping on the bandwagon of the other guy. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Um, and, and we get that when you get these dominant fighters and people seem to have a moment or hang in there and defy our expectations. And all of a sudden, somehow, either the champion slipping or someone who's put together a performance that's, uh, uh, you know, so much better than anybody thought possible. And so we sort of make the fight feel closer than it is. And Jones was never really threatened in the fight. You could see he had concern. Uh, in the moments where he did try and tie up with Thiago Santos, he did not look comfortable at all in the clinch. Uh, he, John was really cautious of uh, Santos's sort of linear attacks, straight up the middle, the knees, the cheap kicks, the uppercuts, things like that. And, and talking to his camp afterwards, I was actually in Albuquerque the week before the fight and saw Jones training. And um, to talk to his camp afterwards, uh, they, they, they felt like John was comfortable in kickboxing range. And the thing with Jones he tends to go where his opponents are the strongest and tries to beat them there. And so sometimes, you know, it, it may seem like, oh, he's struggling a little bit or it's not, it's not coming together that, you know, the way that we expected. But, but that's all, almost all intentional with him. I think, I think people have to really look at his performance for, for what it was and, and take it at, at face value and, and listen to him when he says, you know, I, I stood in there with a Muay Thai black belt and a guy who's very dangerous and strong and, and stood in front of him for 25 minutes and I'm standing and he barely hit me and, you know, and, and so be it. Um, I, I wonder how it would have been if Santos had not really blown out his knee in that opening round, um, wh- whether Jones would have felt like this is not an area for me to feel comfortable in. I think he knew that he was facing a wounded opponent uh, pretty early on and, and that added to his comfort level. But, it, it, had Jones at any point really decided to take down Santos and work a ground game, I, I think the fight would have would have ended much sooner. And, and so you wonder, well, why didn't he do that? But again, it's it's like he he heaps these small. Uh, it may be small to us, but to him, they're like these these bigger challenges along the way. And 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 in the larger picture, they don't mean much, but to him, they mean a lot. And I think that's one of the things that makes Jones really kind of stand out above the rest. That. He's he's willing to put himself in sort of situations that are a bit more challenging than they might be otherwise, and still come out on top. And I think that's how he can feel like he came out of that fight and feel good about it, where the rest of us or a lot of us will feel like, oh, he didn't he didn't look that great. But for him, he's going to take away different things from that performance. And you know, he's back in the gym next week. He's already looking forward to fighting at the end of the year, probably Jan Blakovich. And you know, he's I call it the John, 2019 is the John Jones getting back to business tour. <laughs> and it, it really, it really feels that way, um, and, and so I think this is just part of that, uh, part of that run for him. Yeah, is is Blakovich the the logical opponent? I, I know that Reyes is making noise, and these, I mean, these are guys that you know, Josh, that I know because you know we're MMA geeks. But it, it's not Cormier, which everybody wants to see the trilogy there at at heavyweight, and I don't know, you know, whether that does or doesn't happen. He's got Stipe in front of him, but. It, it, it feels like he's sort of run through the big names of the divisions. Now we're left with guys that are very good. They're young, but they're not well known. And I don't know how big of a draw they are to the casual fan. Is it so? What what are we looking at with John in terms of competition moving forward? Do you think? I, I think there's a really good young crop of light heavyweights coming up, but they're about a year away. Um, you're talking about 
uh, Reyes, Dominic Reyes, who you mentioned, uh, he's not ready, but he, he, he may be soon. Johnny Walker, he's not ready, but he could very well be soon. Uh, Alonzo Menefield uh, looked, uh, I think, pretty good at, at 239. And um, uh, Ori fought another card the week before. I've, these cards blend in my mind sometimes. But he, yeah. he, uh, <laughs> he, he looked very good recently. And uh, there's there's another one too. I think Jimmy Crute. Uh, uh, I think he's Australian. So there's like some prospects coming up who aren't quite there yet. But give him a year, and if Jones is still around doing his thing, they, these are guys that physically look like they can present real challenges to Jones. And if they're groomed the right way and give them the right treatment coming up, and I don't mean protected, I mean that they have to probably fight one another and have sort of like a mini tournament in some way to earn the right to fight Jones if the UFC approaches it that way. And one of those guys, I think, really, really has a chance to challenge him and push him in, in ways that I think all of us want to see him pushed. And I think ways that Jones himself wants to be pushed. You know, he, he's a guy that feels like I need the best challengers to come to make me as great as I can be. And one of those guys, or, or maybe more than one, is going to be able to do that, I feel. But in the, in the near term, it's kind of staying busy and running through it and, and keeping your, your, your head on straight and not screwing up and just going out and, and showing the fans that I'm here and I'm fighting and I'm an active champion. And he's done that so far. Uh, if he fights again against Blachowicz, who probably deserves it and looks like the next guy, um, then, you know, that'd be four fights in about 12 or 13 months. And, and that's pretty good for John Jones, considering everything that we've had to see from him. Last one before I let you go. If you were the matchmaker, if you were Sean Shelby and you, you gave you absolute power to make the match, who would you want to see him fight? Would you want to see him go up to heavyweight and fight the winner of Stipe and Daniel, or would you want to see him fight Blakovich? Which which one's the most appealing to you as, a, as an MMA fan? Well, I mean, sure, fighting the winner between Stipe and DC, I think, is just pure marquee, and it gives people um, uh, a vision of Jones and a new weight class that I think would really be captivating. He's experienced against heavyweights. He's sparred against a lot of heavyweights in the gym. He'd probably come into that fight about 230 pounds. He wouldn't have to cut the weight. So I think he can do that. For me, though, if I'm Sean Shelby, I'm focusing on grooming those four kids that I talked about and putting them in a position to fight uh, John Jones. I, I think a fight between Johnny Walker and John Jones, if Walker makes it through that gauntlet with the young prospects, that's super intriguing to me. And that, that's a fight that I would love to see. And if it's Dominic Reyes, great. If it's Alonzo Menafield, great. But Walker... He's been a destroyer. He's a gigantic guy like John Jones, and I think seeing those two face off would get a lot of people really excited. He's just got to mellow out on the post-fight celebrations, right? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Uh, he is the senior writer covering MMA for The Athletic, also host of Gross Point Blank, the podcast that will be debuting next week. He is Josh Gross, one of the best in the business. Josh, always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for cutting out time, as always, and I really look forward to talking to you again soon. Happy to do it, Bob. Thank you.